Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I've given an interesting title to uh, what I want to share with you this morning, and that is the missing link in discipleship. Now, the phrase, the missing link, was invented by evolutionists to explain what was absent in their brains (laughs) or their theory of the process of evolution. And uh, they're still looking for a missing transitional fossil that would make sense of their theory. They're looking for a missing skull, and I think it's just uh, on top of their shoulders. <laughs> but the one advantage of being an evolutionist is that you don't have to make any distinction between true fact and wild speculation. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to tell you about what seems to be a, a missing link in a particular process of discipleship development. But I'm not going to speculate. I'm going to give you solid scriptural proof of this missing link in discipleship. So this so-called missing link will help to give us an understanding of not just how to be a true disciple, but also how to become a disciple maker. It's interesting, when you go and study the Gospels, Jesus did say to people, follow me. But sometimes people who already followed Jesus said, come and see, and then they followed Jesus. So it's important to be a disciple and a disciple maker. So I want to, for our foundational text, read uh, an interesting scripture. And if we look carefully at the scripture, we can recognize an important and, and often overlooked, uh, unnoticed, unnoticed process of discipleship. So, 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes the following. He writes to Timothy, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, in the scripture, there is a, a plain model. There is a, a, a process of discipleship described here, as I said, often undetected. So what I want to do is I want us to look at the persons involved in this sample of discipleship development described here. Because you'll see several persons, let me call them links, in this discipleship chain. And um, there's a sequential uh, uh, process, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to allocate a number to each person in this link so that we could just understand how the thing flowed. And um, so as we go along, you could write the numbers next to the, the link persons in, in this text in your Bible if you want to. I'm going to give you seven links. And uh, so if you're taking notes, just write down numbers one to seven uh, in your margin, and then we're going to look at it. So uh, I want to identify those seven links in the chain of discipleships. Now, be patient with me. My numbering system initially might seem mixed up, but it's not. 
I'm going to start with number four on purpose. But things will become more clear at the end. So I didn't make a mistake because the Bible speaks about me in Psalm 37, 37, Mark the perfect man. I don't make mistakes. I'll confess this. I, I only made one mistake ever before. Uh, it's when I thought that I made a mistake and then I found out it wasn't a mistake. So, so my mistake was that I mis was mistaken in thinking I made a mistake. <laughs> but let me start with number four in our scripture there, and that is Paul. How do we identify him? Well, he's uh, an interesting. Paul is not the first in this process. He's smack in the middle of this discipleship process. Listen what he says. He writes this letter, and he says in 2 Timothy 2, 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me, that's Paul, if you want to put a little number four there. So Paul is, uh, as I said, in the middle of this process. Now, let me continue, and I'm going to look at the latter part of the process. Let's go to number five before we return to, to the start. So he writes this letter, as we see in verse one, to his spiritual son, Timothy. When you are a disciple, and we have been called to not just be disciples, but to make disciples, he writes and he addresses Timothy as his spiritual son, because that's what you do in discipleship. And, and let me just be clear, it was his spiritual son, not his natural son. There was a preacher who, uh, who preached about Paul and his wife Silas, who were in jail, and their little boy Timothy running around with nobody looking after him. It's, it's not that he was just a spiritual son. Now, let's, let's identify him again and how Paul passed on this spiritual legacy to Timothy. It says in verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you, and that's where you can write a little number five, that you, Timothy, have heard from me among many witnesses. So Paul was the one who left this spiritual legacy, and uh, uh, Timothy heard these words of truth. He traveled with Paul. He followed his lifestyle, and he becomes number five in this, as I said, uh, discipleship progression. And I, I just want you to see it doesn't stop there. And by the way, it's not just Timothy who heard these words from Paul. He says, you heard these words from me among many witnesses. So obviously there were other people also involved in this process. Now, how did Paul disciple Timothy? I'm glad you asked. In the next chapter, Paul describes what he believes discipling was. And as I said, a disciple is a follower. Listen for the word follow and listen for the word learn because a disciple is a learner. 2 Timothy 3 verse 10, you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, I'm going to come back to Jesus, that's important, will suffer persecution. And then in verse 14, he says, you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of. 
So Paul clearly tells us what discipling is. And incidentally, God's word plays a vital role in discipling. And then Timothy uh, continues this succession plan. Let's go on to link number six in this process. Let's go back to 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Uh, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to, and here's number six, faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul's instruction was commit these truths to faithful people. That's number six. Now, we know that Paul first committed or entrusted things to Timothy. I'm not going to read these scriptures because we, I don't have time, but please go and, and study them at home. First Timothy 1.18, at the beginning of this epistle, he says to Timothy, this charge and admonition, I commit in trust to you, Timothy, my son. Go and read it. Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you. Now, we found the word commit in our foundational text and in these uh, uh, two scriptures that I, that I read to. It's a very interesting word, and it was used in, in, um, uh, amongst other ways when a waiter or somebody served food at the table, and they actually... It, it means they, they set it before them. This is what, what Paul did. He gave Timothy spiritual food. He was nourished with sound teaching. And in 1 Timothy 4, 6, he says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. There's follow again. So it's important, Paul says to Timothy, what you have received, you need to commit to, to others uh, as well. And he says, just incidentally, look at that scripture. Uh, so number six in this chain, faithful people. Uh, God is not looking for able people. He's actually not looking for ability, but for availability and dependability, and reliability. And just incidentally, not just men only, uh, sometimes the men are not available <laughs> or reliable. Say amen, say ana, say aish, say something because this is true. Okay, let's continue. Let's, let me get to the last link in this chain mentioned in this verse. So that's number seven. It started in, in verse two where Paul said, what you, Timothy, have learned from me, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Wow, that's number seven. So can you see that God doesn't want the gift to stop with you? Whatever God gives you, he wants you to pass it on. There must be this discipleship uh, 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 chain. So the faithful people had to teach others. And incidentally, and I probably will, will come back to this at the end, I'm going to show you that it didn't even stop with the others. It continued on. Now, I need to go back because we've got number four to number seven. Who's number three? 
<laughs> let's go back there and let's work backwards to number one. Number three is the missing link. And uh, why is, is he missing? Because he's not identified in the scripture. He's not really missing. I said the discipleship process did not start with Paul. Somebody must have uh, discipled Paul. And who did? Well, uh, this so-called missing link is a fairly unknown man called Joseph Barnabas. Commonly known just as, as Barnabas. He is definitely not as well known as Paul. Some of you heard about him for the first time now. We know Paul is quite well known. He wrote almost half of uh, the New Testament books. Interesting, if you go and do a study of Barnabas, you'll find that in the book of Acts, his name appears uh, 24 times. But Paul's name in the book of Acts, although he became a convert long after Barnabas, his name appears 127 times. And even in the epistles, here and there you'll hear about Barnabas, but Paul we hear about often. So what are the qualities that Barnabas had that made him, as some referred to as the greatest disciple after Jesus in the New Testament? So the important thing that I'm going to show you is his involvement in helping Paul to step into his ministry and his destiny. And uh, there are so many things that we can learn from Barnabas, from his life, from his character, about how to be a good disciple and how to become a discipler. So what I want to do is I want us to compare ourselves with Barnabas. And then, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you some probing questions. You don't have to answer me. You, it's between you and the Lord. And um, again, I'm going to mention several scriptures, but not read them uh, all. But please take these scriptures and go and meditate on them at home. So here are some of the things we can learn about becoming a true disciple and a disciple maker by becoming these things uh, through the grace of God. Firstly, become a dedicated and devoted servant of God. Discipleship is all about dedication and devotion. It's all about service unto God. That's the essence of discipleship. Interesting, and go and study the book of Acts, and you'll find following the happenings on the day of Pentecost, Barnabas is the next disciple mentioned by name after Peter and John. They were the ones that played a major role. And here's where he's mentioned in Acts 4 and verse 36. It says, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. So interesting. What was his background? The tribe of Levi. What did the Levites do? They served. 
they served in the religious system of that day in the temple. Now, from his personal history as a Levite, I think Barnabas understood what it meant to serve. He understood what dedication and devotion uh, unto God was, not just to a, a religious system. So it, it, it's so important. Now, let me, let me start with the questions that I want to ask you. And as I said, you have to, to answer that between you and God. Here are, are, are the first two in a series of, of questions concerning your discipleship status. Are you committed to God or only to religion? It's so easy to get trapped in the religious system but you are not really dedicated and devoted to God. And then the second thing that I want to ask, do you have a servant's heart? And I just chatted to the guys before the service, and um, you, you might know that, that Anchor hosted the, the ARC conference this week here, and uh, I had the privilege of attending. And I just want to again say publicly to commend uh, the people from this church they served with such a willing heart. I really felt that, that they were uh, looking out for our, um, to make us feel welcome, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to commend this, and I, I uh, just want to say to Adrian and Lee in their absence too, there's such a beautiful culture of servanthood that they've created here. So... Um, what is important is to, to start following Jesus and obeying him with all your heart and, and being devoted to him. If you ever want to be a disciple maker, you need to be a disciple first. And I, I, I just want to throw this in at no extra cost. That discipling is not about controlling others. It's about serving others. Because that's the, the, the essence. So do you have a servant's heart? Serve others. And um, Jesus said it clearly. If you want to be a leader, if you want to be great, become a servant first. Okay, so that's the first quality. Then the second quality that we learned from Barnabas is that he was generous and sincere. You need to be generous. Uh, and long before we read about Paul, I said that we hear about Barnabas, and after giving us his name and his place of origin, the next thing we learn about him is that he was a giver, showing great generosity by giving more than just a, a token contribution to the church. Listen what it says, Acts 4.36, and we're going to read verse 37. Now, verse 36 introduces Barnabas, and then verse 37 says, He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That's, that's quite something. That was not just a, a, a token contribution. That was a, a land that he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. That's sacrificial giving, and that's proof of his commitment to God and his desire to help those in need. Interesting, go and read in that chapter the contrast between him and Ananias and Sapphira because he gave with the right motive. He was sincere. Can I give you the questions for yourself again? Are you generous in your giving to God, in your giving to the church? Are you just a casual contributor 
or are you a sacrificial supplier in the needs of other people? You know, some people are great at giving. They'll give you free advice. <laughs> They'll give you a piece of their mind. <laughs> They'll even give you a hard time. And you know, it's so important for us as believers. Can I just say this? Because, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a guest here. Put your money where your mouth is. And be generous. I know this is old school, and some of the, the, the youngsters will not even understand this. They'll have to go and Google this. But I heard somebody years ago say this. Show me two of your books, and I'll show you how dedicated you are to God. And he said, the two books are your checkbook and your diary. Go Google checkbook, please. <laughs> <laughs> so your giving to God is so important it must never be with selfish motives disciples and disciple makers are generous unselfish and sincere here's the next quality uh, of, of Barnabas and I'm going to spend a bit of time on this one have faith in others and be faithful yourself not only did Barnabas have a close relationship with God, but he had also good relationships with people. And he also seemed to seek the best in others. He trusted and he was trustworthy. Uh, very interesting. Now, you must realize Paul, or as he was known at that time, Saul, was a big threat to the church. And when he uh, had his conversion, uh, he tried to join the disciples. But it's interesting that it says they were all afraid of him and didn't believe that he was a genuine disciple. But Barnabas was the one who had faith in Paul. And he brought him to the apostles and, and he became accepted. Listen to this, Acts 9, verses 26 to 28. It says, when he, that's Paul or Saul, arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to associate with the disciples and they were all afraid of him. Because obviously he killed Christians. Because they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took Saul, brought him to the apostles, and related to them how he had seen the Lord uh, on the road, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And here's the significant verse, uh, verse 28. So he, that's Paul, was staying with them, associating openly with them in Jerusalem, and speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Wow. That's a major event. I'm going to come back to the scripture and read from verse 29 onwards and, and, and highlight this uh, quality of, of Barnabas that he had confidence in, in Paul. But before I do that, let me just show you that not only was he trusting, but Barnabas was trustworthy. In, um, in Acts 11, here from verse 19, I'm not going to read all of it, but here's the background to the scripture. Uh, he was so trusted and faithful when the church in Jerusalem became concerned about non-Jews joining the church or becoming part of the church in Antioch. When they became believers, they sent Barnabas to go and make sure that everything is, is, is in order and go in and read Acts 11, uh, 19 to 22 in your own time. So here's my question for you again. How trustworthy are you? How reliable are you? 
Can the church send you on an assignment? Because that's what discipleship is, is all about. I want to encourage you, start by being faithful in small things. Don't look for big things. Because that's how promotion comes in the kingdom, by serving. Serve in the church so that they can recognize your faithfulness. Serve God and serve other people. Now, let me come back, and I think this is one of the most important things I want to focus on, to the faith that Barnabas had in Saul. Let's go back to Acts 9 and uh, uh, show you how he had compassion on this new disciple. And what is interesting Paul was a new disciple, and he got involved in fierce arguments with the Grecian Jews in, in Jerusalem. Acts 9, verse 29, says that he, Paul, talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. Now, now the Greek word translated as debated here could be uh, uh, translated as disputed because the, the Greek word literally means this, to express forceful differences of opinion without necessarily having a presumed goal or seeking a solution. <laughs> because that's the background that Paul came out of. The Pharisees, those guys, they loved arguing. And so Paul obviously was very zealous, but probably didn't have wisdom there. So it got so bad that Paul's life was threatened. And in verse 30 of Acts 9, we actually read that the brethren decided to remove him. <laughs> and I want to read this from the NIV. It says, when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea. And then they thought, this is not far enough. It says they sent him off to Tarsus. That was his... his uh, his birthplace. And uh, I, I, I smile at the next verse. I kind of chuckled. It says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. <laughs> because Paul the stirrer was not there. <laughs> but here's what happened. Barnabas is assigned by the church to Antioch. What does he do when he arrives at Antioch? He goes further north. He goes to, to Tarsus to look for Paul. And scholars say that Paul was virtually removed into near obscurity for some years. But Barnabas found him again, took him under his wing, brought him to Antioch to work and to teach with him. And here's what we read in Acts 11, 25, 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And it's from Antioch that the Holy Spirit sends out Barnabas and Saul. Acts 13, go and read the first three, uh, three verses. Maybe I should just read because I want to point out something. It says, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And then five men are mentioned. Barnabas is mentioned first. Saul is mentioned last. It says, verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas, mentioned first again, and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So um, uh, uh, Barnabas was the one who again took Paul under his wing, and together with Paul, uh, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now, in Acts 15, we read that that Barnabas 
And uh, Paul saw the potential of the Gentiles, again, trusting them. And they recognized God's work in them and His kindness upon them. Go and read it there in Acts 15 and verse 12. Now, I want to spend time on this one again. There's another character that I need to introduce here. And I like him because his name was Mark. John Mark. A cousin of Barnabas. And John Mark also made some mistakes. Um, In fact, Paul at one stage, gave up on John Mark. And we read about this in Acts 13, 13. It says, Paul and his companions sailed from Paphos and came to Persia in Pamphylia. And John Mark separated himself from them and went back to Jerusalem. So he, in Paul's eyes, you'll see, actually deserted them. In Acts 15, we read this from verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, his near relative, but Paul did not think it best to have along with him the one who had quit and deserted them in Pamphylia. And then in verse, verse 39, it actually says that Barnabas and Paul separated. And Barnabas again took Mark, the youngster who had to learn something, uh, and, and took him under his wing. Slow to judge, seeing that this young man deserved another chance. Now, just incidentally, and I wish I had the time to show you all of this. Paul may have differed with Barnabas, but he still held him in great regard. He mentions him as a fellow apostle. He tells how Barnabas accompanied him in Jerusalem and how uh, uh, the church leaders uh, recognized uh, their ministry. Now, it's interesting that later on, and I'm just going to give you these scriptures. Go read them at home. Paul later recommends John Mark in Colossians 4.10, one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, at the end of the scripture, he, he, it says, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Did you hear that? It's in the Bible. <laughs> then later in the same epistle uh, that Paul writes to Timothy, He speaks about John Mark's usefulness to him in Scripture. Another of my favorite Scriptures. It says there in 2 Timothy 4.11, Get Mark and bring bring him with you, for he's useful to me for ministry. How amazing that Paul eventually accepted and forgave John Mark. And um, when he was was a prisoner, John Mark was the one who supported Paul. In, in Philemon, verses 23 and 24, uh, he calls Mark his fellow laborer. And even Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 13, calls John Mark his spiritual son. Incidentally, Mark's gospel was written by John Mark. Okay? So, obviously, again, a very important uh, character in this whole chain. Let me ask you a question again. Do you seek the best in others? Are you willing to help people who have made mistakes? Because that's part of the whole discipleship process. Be kind-hearted, forgive, don't write people off. It's a process that requires patience and forgiveness. Oh, my goodness, um, I'm not even halfway. Is it okay, Will? 
Like we continue, but blame will. Okay. Here's the next quality. Be a compassionate person. If you want to be a true disciple, compassion is vitally important. We saw earlier the generosity of Barnabas, how he cared for others. But here is another example. He was the one when uh, some of the, the, the brethren living in Judea were in trouble because of a famine. Uh, somebody had to take a gift to them from the church in Jerusalem and guess who was the delivery man. Barnabas, go read Acts 11, uh, verses 27 to 30. I don't have the time to that. Here, and remember, Paul calls him his fellow apostle. Barnabas, the apostle, was willing to be a delivery man. How many modern apostles <laughs> today will be prepared to be the delivery man? And not be in the limelight. Question to you again. How concerned are you with people in need? If you want to be a true disciple, you need selfless compassion for people. Here's an important one. Next quality. Become an exhorter. The name Barnabas is important. His uh, name, as we saw, was actually Joseph, or Joseph, as some translations have it. But that name is only mentioned once, and uh, Joseph means that God will add, probably focusing on the blessings wished upon Joseph. But what is important, the apostles actually recognized not how blessed Barnabas was, but the blessing that he was to others, and they called him Barnabas. Barney for short. So the phrase Barney and friends was known long ago bef <laughs> before purple dinosaur arrived on this. <laughs> and that was the name that he was known by, Acts, 40, uh, Acts 4 verse uh, 36. Uh, he was nicknamed Barnabas, which means uh, son of encouragement. Joseph the Levite became Barnabas the encourager. Wow. And he earned his nickname because he encouraged people. Now, I, I, again, I wish I could have, could have gone into some depths with this because it's so interesting that the word encouragement used in the Greek here in Acts 4.36 is the same root that describes the Holy Spirit as our helper. It's the same root word. That's how he helped and consoled and, and exhorted. And uh, the Aramaic name Barnabas actually comes from two Hebrew words, bar meaning son, and naba meaning prophecy, or nabi uh, meaning prophet. And, and again, there's a lesson in this for us. When you prophesy, it must bring encouragement, not condemnation. A prophet should be an encourager. So, uh, many other instances where, where Barnabas encouraged people. Go read Acts 11, 23 and 24. It says that in, in Antioch, he encouraged all the believers in Antioch. He discipled uh, uh, those, um, those people. And so, it's so important to see that, that Barnabas encouraged all the time in um, Acts 15, we read about this in verses 22 onwards. 
uh, how the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with a letter. And uh, please go and read it because in verse 30, the letter is mentioned. And verse 31 says that the people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. So I'm getting to you again. Are you an encourager or a discourager? <laughs> Are you a dampener of spirits? What would your nickname be? Son of encouragement or descend, descendant of discouragement, despair, and depression? You see, what you do actually becomes your nickname, like Bob the Builder. And if you are Bob, you could be a builder-upper. You could build people up. You could encourage them. You could exhort them. <laughs> so, what would your nickname be? That's important to, to answer that. It's not about condemning, criticizing, complaining. It's looking for opportunities to commend people, to exhort them and encourage them. That's how you become a good disciple. I'm rushing. Next quality, become a good person that does good. I'm focusing on one verse, uh, Acts 11:24. It says, Barnabas was a good man. Interesting, the word good here has, has a double meaning. That which is good in character and beneficial in its effect. Some people are just good on the inside, but they're no good. They're good for nothing. You see, you cannot just say, I'm a good person. It needs to be expressed in deeds. So, um, are you an example of goodness in character and conduct? That's my question to you. Then, develop your faith. Same scripture, Acts eleven twenty four. Barnabas was a good man, full of faith. One of the unsung heroes of faith. How full of faith are you? Because you will need faith in this whole process. Remain full of the Holy Spirit is the next quality. Uh, same scripture. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Some people are just full of themselves. They're full of the flesh. They're full of nonsense. Are you full of yourself? Are you self-seeking? That's my question. Are you full of God and His Word? How full are you of the Holy Spirit? I'm almost done. I just have 12 more points. <laughs> Next quality, remain humble. Oh, wow. Barnabas was not full of himself. And uh, I'm going to give you three examples. Acts 11, 23 and 24 uh, we already saw that he went to Antioch, and it says he was very success successful. It says a great many people were added to the Lord, but he never boasted about that success. He wasn't jealous. He wasn't covetous. Uh, Paul basically took the, the major role. Acts 14, verses 11 to 15, what happened there? God used Paul mightily in um, the healing of a, a lame man. And what happened, those people in, in, in Lystra actually wanted to worship them. They said that the gods had come down to us in, uni, uh, in, in human form. And they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul, they called Hermes. Uh, but they explained to them, we are only men. And then lastly, and I think this is the most important thing, and you can go and, and research this yourself. 
Barnabas was willing to let the ministry of Paul blossom to its full potential, not thinking that as a mentor, he was more important than his mentee. And go and read, it's so interesting. In the beginning of the book of Acts, you always read Barnabas and Saul. But later on, it changes around. Paul and Barnabas. And it took a step back so that the one whom God has really chosen for this uh, uh, could step into his ministry and his destiny. A true discipler works for the success of others and does not suppress them. So, here's my question to you. Do you only do things if you know that you'll get the credit? Humility is the ability to be unconcerned about who gets the credit, who gets the glory. Last quality of Barnabas, and a lesson for us, don't think that you're perfect. Barnabas did make some mistakes. If you go and read Acts 15 here from verse 37, you'll see that Peter, uh, 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 Paul, Paul rebukes Peter here for becoming legalistic and, and forcing the Gentiles to become Jews first, circumcised, etc., etc. And Barnabas fall, uh, fell in the trap of, of that legalism. And uh, so, so he was, in, in my opinion, temporarily deceived by the hypocrisy of these legalistic Jewish believers. And uh, we read about that in Galatians 2, 11 to, to 13, um, where, where it doesn't tell us what eventually happened to Barnabas, but I would like to believe that he saw the truth. My question to you is this. I know you are not perfect, but are you quick to repent? When you make a mistake. Wish I had the time to go through this. There's such a heritage that Barnabas left for us, not personally but through others. He helped Paul and Peter. The gospel of Mark we have was because he had compassion on John Mark. All the epistles that Paul wrote. Paul's apostolic function, the growth of the church, and even in Antioch where he was involved, that's where the believers were first uh, known as, as Christians. So, I know number one and two are still missing. Who's number two in this whole process of disciple making? Let me read 2 Timothy 2 again and verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Barnabas had an encounter with Christ. Paul had an encounter with Christ. And Jesus obviously is the original disciple maker. And he's the one who said to us, go and make disciples. So we need to recognize that Jesus uh, is the one who had this life-changing effect on, on others. But who's number one? God the Father. When Jesus was on earth, now he's not mentioned here in, in our foundational text, but Paul mentions him at the beginning of this epistle in 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's what he says. 
So here's God the Father. He sent Jesus to the earth. Jesus is the one who said, follow me. And that's how the whole process starts. Now, by now, I, I'm sure you realized that Barnabas was not the missing link. He's just not mentioned in that scripture of Paul. Can I dare to say this? There's a danger that you might be the missing link. I'm not saying you look like the missing link. <laughs> what am I implying? If you have a number in this whole chain, is there a number following you? Are you impacting someone else with a message of Christ? Are you influencing someone? Are you, are you sharing the word with someone? I'm not talking about a duplicator. Paul never said that he cloned himself. He never said, become like me. He said, the things that you've heard from me, the doctrine, the word, that's what we need to reproduce, not ourselves. We don't make people disciple of, disciples of us. We make them disciples of Jesus. Don't be the missing link. Let's stand. You know, the great commission to the church in Matthew 18 is go and make disciples, not converts. Can I be brash to say it's easy to make converts? But to make disciples is a process. And that's why when we start following Jesus, let the last thing that Jesus said be the first thing that we do as believers. Go and make disciples. Let us not just be true disciples, but disciple makers like Barnabas, like we saw in, 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 in Paul and Timothy and the rest. That's my challenge to you.